2: This is a crowd podcast.
0: This is we didn't start the fire. The only podcast started by me, Billy Joel.
2: Billy Joel. Billy Joel. Billy Joel. Billy Joel. Billy Joel. Billy Joel.
3: Billy Billy Joel. Oh, Billy Joel. Billy Joel. Billy Joel. Billy Joel. Billy Joel. Much too high for me. Oh yeah.
2: Katie, whenever I'm in your presence, I'm always in a belly disguised sense of great excitement today, perhaps more than ever.
3: I feel like I might need a heart defibrillator because (laughs) I am pretty fuzzed up, Tom Fordyce.
2: Katie, do you think we've given enough of a clue in our opening remarks to today's guest?
3: Well, just in case we haven't. How about this? He's written more hit songs than you can shake a stick at. He sells out Madison Square Garden on a monthly basis. But most importantly for this podcast, he wrote, we didn't start the fire and therefore is our inadvertent history teacher. Please welcome the bruiser from the Bronx, the langoustine of Long Island, the piano man himself, Billy Joel. Hi, Billy.
0: Hi. <laughs> Billy, you sound slightly overwhelmed. <laughs> Why are I, I, I am. I am. I never had that kind of intro.
3: (laughs) Well, babe, get used to it because you are our sensei. You are our guru on We Didn't Start the Fire because we started this podcast trying to delve into what the heck you were motor mouthing about. And it turns out that we're learning a whole lot about history and all the reasons why the world is in the state it is today. Did you imagine that this song would have this kind of impact?
0: No, I didn't think uh, that this song was anything more than a mental exercise for me. Uh, when I first started to write it, I, I just wrote it as, uh, okay, let me see what happened since the year I was born. And uh, I was writing in 1989, so it's essentially a 40-year compilation of headlines and, and things that, that happened during my life. And just remind us, Billy, just for the record, where the song came from. What first pushed you to writing it? When I started writing, I was in the recording studio. This was 1989. Some, some guests came into the studio who knew Phil Ramone, who was my producer. One of them was Sean Lennon, John Lennon's son. And he was with a friend of his. And uh, I think I asked him how old they were. And uh, they said uh, 21. I think they were like 21 and I said, oh, yeah, I remember 21. Uh, that could be a tough age. And they said, yeah, but, you know, at least when you were 21, it was uh, it was a long time ago, and you got to grow up in the 50s, and nothing happened in the 50s. And nowadays, things are so bad. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you mean nothing happened in the 50s? Did you ever hear the Korean War?
3: <laughs> Did you ever hear the
0: Hungar- Hungarian uprising, the Suez Canal crisis, et cetera, et cetera? And they kind of looked at me like, no. And I thought, you know what? Let me, let me just see if I can write from memory the, the headlines uh, that happened during my lifetime. Some people think that I wrote it as an apologia for, babe, for being a baby boomer. Like, we didn't start the fight. It's not our fault. We didn't do this. <laughs> that was not my intention at all. My intention was just, to, let me just write out what happened in the last 40 years And just point out, look, the world was a mess. It was a mess during my life. It's a mess during your life. The world's always going to be a mess. That's the way the world is. (laughs) So deal with it and see if you can make things better. I wrote the, the lyrics first. I wrote the words first, which is why the music is so horrible in that song. I usually write the music first, and then I write lyrics. But in that song, the melody goes... It's like a mosquito buzzing around your head. <laughs> it's more it's more annoying than musical. And then there's the chorus which is sort of an attempt at a melody. It's it's the kind of the weirdest song I ever wrote like that because like I said, I wrote the words first and I never do that, which is you know my excuse for writing such lousy melody
3: (laughs) well I heard that uh, or maybe I read that you had said that you would repurpose a song that you wrote originally as a country song
0: yeah the, the it goes so the chords were which I started to write a song called Jolene Jolene won't you take me as I am? Jolene, I'm an ordinary man. And I never finished the lyric. And I just said, okay, I don't like that that much, so I'm going to put that away. And plus, Dolly Parton got there first. Dolly did have a song called Jolene, that's right. Um, but I, I never finished writing the song, so I just had some chords laying around. Yeah, you
3: recycled.
0: Yeah, I threw those chords on top of the the mosquito drone I wrote as the melody.
3: (laughs) So were you slightly annoyed that the song that you'd given kind of half a thought to lived forever? I mean, you didn't really intend for that to happen, I imagine.
0: Was I annoyed? Yeah. No, I was absolutely exhilarated. (laughs) Perfect. I I had no no idea it would be a big hit record. We actually sent copies of it with uh, uh, this periodical called Scholastic Magazine, which students in school would get. So it was kind of like a captive audience got sent copies of the recording with a Scholastic Magazine that had the lyrics printed out. And they started using this as a teaching tool in history classes in public schools. And so I kind of had a, a captive audience that now had to learn all the lyrics because the teacher gave them this as a homework assignment, <laughs> which I felt bad about because I hated homework. <laughs> 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 These kids had to all go out and, and research what all the different names and events and places were that I was talking about. And it became this big hit record, which shocked the hell out of me because I didn't expect that. <laughs> so if you'd been writing it today, Billy, I guess you would have been on Google.
2: You would have been looking for inspiration there. This is written in a pre-Google world, of course. So
0: how long did it take to come up with the lyrics? I pretty much wrote out the lyrics in one sitting. <clears throat> uh, I started in the year 1949. I said, okay, what happened when I was born? Harry Truman was the president. Uh, Doris Day was a big singing star. Red China, China went communist. Uh, Johnny Ray was, a, was another big pop singer. Uh, Red China, Johnny Ray. South Pacific was a big hit show. Walter Winchell was a, a, a columnist. Walter Winchell, Joe DiMaggio was a famous baseball player, and that was nineteen forty nine. Uh, and then it went on from there. Um, and I just just kept writing stuff. I I got a book called uh, 20th Century Something" just to double check myself to make sure I had everybody at the right year at the right time. And uh, it just that's that's how it came about. I, I'm, I'm a great lover of history. When I was a little kid, like I said, I didn't have a TV, so my mom would go to the library and bring back a big pile of books, and I loved books. And some of the books we'd bring back, back were actually school history textbooks. And I read them as if they were novels. I would read a history book uh, as if it was a novel. From beginning to end, and I was fascinated with it. I still am to this day. One of my favorite things is history. I even considered being a history teacher uh, when I was younger, but I went into music instead.
3: Well, you are a history teacher from the uh, song being included in Scholastic magazines to us, Passing along your, your messages on, uh, on our podcast here.
0: Yeah.
3: And uh, it's so interesting. Funny how that worked out. So you were talking about a lot of the topics and the people, uh, events in the song are examples of the world going to hell in the handbasket kind of situation, but equally, there's topics in there that you must feel quite tender about because, you know, you've got musicals in there, you've got uh The King and I, you've got British Beatlemania. I mean, I'm imagining that there's some topics in there that you hold
0: near and dear to your heart. Yeah, it wasn't all about bad stuff. It was just about stuff. Look, this all happened, you know, when I was a kid, uh, and when you smush it all together and it's this big... Jumble coming at you, it can be a little overwhelming. These are all headlines. This is what was happening. This is what was. Digest this. Deal with this. Cope with this. Um, And that's going to happen in your life too. There's going to be good things. Going to be bad things. There's going to be a lot of stuff. There's (laughs) just a lot of stuff. And how do you process it? And how do you cope with it? And and how do you how do you deal with it? That's all it was supposed to me. And some people think it's these random things. No, they were all done chron- chronologically. Oh, this yeah. is all in order, 1949, 1950, 1951. And it accelerates as you get into the 60s and 70s because time seemed to accelerate for me when you got in, into the 70s and the 80s. That's why it speeds up. Uh, and and the verses get closer together.
3: Oh well, I was wondering about that because um, you have at least half of the topics in the song are all occurring in the fifties, and then once you get into the sixties, seventies, and eighties, then it's you're just hitting like you know the total bold face headlines.
0: Right. Well, that's that's how time seemed to go by for me during my lifetime. Now I am a baby boomer. I was born in nineteen forty nine, and this was eighty nine, and it just seemed like things were beginning to accelerate. Uh, um, There was a lot to digest. There was so much going on. Uh, There were so many different new kinds of media where you could uh, see these names and see these places and hear about these things. And I realized it could be a little overwhelming or very overwhelming.
3: Well, I know um, as Tom and I explore each topic as we do weekly in depth with an expert, whether it's an academic or a historian or just a super fan. Um, We always speculate Tom and I we do what why has Billy chosen (laughs) Studebaker or why has Billy chosen Brando like we wonder always whether there's a personal connection and I'd love to know Billy what items in the song do you have a, a special kind of heart rending feeling for.
0: You know what? I don't have the words in front of me. I'd have to look at a lyric sheet.
3: Well, I, how about if I throw out a few? How about um, Br- uh, Beatlemania, British Beatlemania?
0: Well, I was a Beatles fan. So when Beatlemania hit in America, I was heart and soul involved. I, I loved the Beatles from the minute I first heard them. It was a big deal for me when I was a, uh, 14 years old. The Beatles came over here in 64, And the the records hit here in 64. They hit earlier in Britain, which is why British Beatlemania happened first. Uh, And when they got here, you got to realize it was February of 1964 when they appeared on TV on The Ed Sullivan Show. In November of 63, John F. Kennedy had been assassinated. And the country had the blues. And my age group was... Really devastated by the death of Kennedy because he was our guy. He was this young president He had a lot of vitality. He was gonna change things things were gonna look like they were gonna get better And then he was taken away and then when the Beatles came They filled in this vacuum that had been left by the death of Kennedy Um, So it was very cathartic Beatlemania Uh, it unified all of us again we were all on the same page we all loved the beatles we couldn't wait for the next album uh, it was very important to us um, that's why I, I put that in there that makes total sense to
2: me katie here's one we wanted about billy when you mentioned campanella catcher for the brooklyn dodgers we were trying to speculate where how far apart the two of you were living because he lived on long island didn't he and you grew up on long island so we were trying to work out hey maybe it's only sort of six miles between where Billy is as a kid obsessed with baseball and where this great hero of the Brooklyn Dodgers lives.
0: I didn't even know that he lived on Long Island. I was a Brooklyn Dodger fan when I was a little kid and they had actually won the World Series in 1955 and they had always lost. They got close and then they would lose. They would get close and then they would lose and their nickname was the Bums, the Brooklyn Bums. (laughs) It was an endearing term, but they kept, Losing, and they finally won in 1955. And then what happened? They left. They left Brooklyn. They moved to Long Long Los Angeles. They went to the West Coast after they won. After (laughs) we had been rooting for them for so long, they left us. Uh, You know, Brooklyn's got a winning team, uh, which is uh, you know where I think Roy Campanella was one of the Brooklyn Dodgers, and he was a great great catcher. Uh, He was in a terrible uh, accident and paralyzed. But uh, I was a big fan of them, and uh, like I was a fan of the Beatles. Is there any that you look back
2: on and think, oh, I wish I'd stuck him in? Uh, I've wondered, because you seem to love your boxing, and we get quite a few of the great fighters mentioned. We get Sugar Ray Robinson. We get uh, Liston Beats Patterson. The one that I wonder about is Muhammad Ali.
3: Yeah, you didn't put in Muhammad Ali.
0: Uh, I wanted to, but I... I, I don't think there was something that rhymed at that moment. <laughs> uh, because he was very important as a boxer. I mean, he was iconic. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe the most famous boxer that ever lived is Muhammad Ali. Liston beats Patterson. And then Cassius Clay, who was actually Muhammad Ali. Beats Liston in, in Miami. Beat Sonny Liston. Yeah. So uh, I, w- I would probably like to have followed it up, but I didn't. So sue me. Some gotta win, some gotta lose. <laughs> Good time, Charlie's got the blues. Uh, you can't fit everything in.
3: Yeah, because I was wondering, um, you do cover boxing because you were a boxer as a kid. Is that right?
0: Yeah, I wasn't a professional boxer. I was an amateur boxer. Yeah, but uh, you were t- you Club. were tidy
3: with your fists. Well,
0: I was very hostile when I was a teenager. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, I, I the last fight I had, I got my nose busted uh by a guy who really wasn't a good boxer he he just had a a a punch like a sledgehammer i'm i'm hitting him i'm hitting him i'm ducking i'm dancing i'm weaving i'm bobbing i'm and i'm jabbing i'm jabbing and he just came at me in kakuj and i said <laughs> okay that's the end of my boxing career <laughs> it's not good for you, for a pianist's fingers boxing is it
2: no it's not good for your hands at all that's true. i suppose as well because you wrote this song in what summer of 89 there were some pretty momentous. I don't even
0: remember whether it was summer, or, but it was
2: '89. Okay, but it was before all the stuff that happened at the end of 1989, where because obviously we do a lot of stuff about the Cold War and Communist Bloc is a lyric in its own right.
3: Oh yeah, there's but like come Stalin Octo- and yeah,
2: and Malenkov. But then come October '89, when you finish writing the song, it all goes down. The Berlin Wall crumbles. You know, all this stuff happens. Right. I, I often wonder, Katie, if Billy, you just think, God, if only I'd left it six months.
0: Well, it sort of encapsulates the history of the Cold War for sure. <clears throat> because it started when com- and when China went communist and it ended when the the Berlin Wall came down in '89. So it those forty years was pretty much encapsulates the Cold War. I didn't realize at the time that that's what I was doing, but it turns out to be that way.
3: I'm interested that you gave Roy Cohn a name check in there because he's somebody who, I guess, to all intents and purposes, mentored, Donald Trump, and in a way is kind of responsible for what's going on in American politics now. Um, How did Roy Cohn come on your horizon and your radar?
0: Well, he was just a real nasty son of a bitch, Roy Cohn. (laughs) A real right-wing, just creep. Very much hated by a lot of people, and, and a real opportunist, too. And the fact that Trump... Uh, you know used Roy Cohn says a lot about Donald Trump sure and my feelings about him um, but he also happened to rhyme <laughs> with Ron Juan Peron <laughs> so that came in handy <laughs> was there anyone in there Billy
2: who was literally just a rhyme someone you weren't that bothered about or you feel maybe didn't
0: justify it. you just thought you know what that is a great name that just scans let's see Joseph Stalin Malenkov Nasser and Prokofiev Rockefeller, on Communist, block. Roy, Coman, front. Tuscany, Dacron. Probably Dacron. Dacron. We wondered about Dacron. Yeah,
3: we, were, we had our <laughs> doubts about Dacron.
0: Well, Dacron was this invention. It was a synthetic material uh, that was invented, um, and it was very important when it appeared. And it was big news. I didn't really know about it until I researched it. Uh, Sort of like nylon was during the Second World War, when they ran out of silk stockings, they made them out of nylon. Sure. Um, And it was a big invention. Um, It was very much appreciated, and it was important for its time. So I just thought, okay, that works. That was probably one of those.
3: Yeah, well, I I do have a question about, uh, after Prokofiev, you've got Rockefeller, and we were wondering, we picked Winthrop Rockefeller, and we hope that was the right one, that was the Rockefeller you meant. Did we pick the right one?
0: I was thinking of Nelson Rockefeller, who was the governor. No! No, Billy! Yeah. What we've recorded already at an hour's (laughs) show about Winthrop.
3: So you were thinking about Nelson.
0: Nelson was the governor of New York State when I was a kid. He had a couple of terms as governor. Um, and Nelson Rockefeller he he talked like that (laughs) Uh, but he was a fairly successful governor of New York State and he was like a big cheese when I was a kid. Uh, We thought it was Winthrop because he had a
2: uh, controversial marriage, didn't he, Casey? And then quite a big news divorce.
3: That was fake news. We totally made that up. We were excited. I'm going to pass this little tidbit along to you, Billy. Uh, Winthrop Rockefeller, uh, one of the things that was cited in the divorce case was that he had quite a large pornography collection and uh, his wife did not take kindly to that, hence the divorce.
0: I don't know about that. Uh, I was uh, living in New York. So I'm reading New York news there was no google and there was no online stuff so you you read the newspapers or you heard radio news and uh nelson rockefeller was quite a, a, a bit in the news there's some
2: proper rogues aren't there billy that, that pop up in your song like, i find it quite hard to work out who the biggest rogue is you've obviously got roy Cohn, walter winchell not a nice man no. joe mccarthy pretty reprehensible yeah nixon depending on your politics pretty reprehensible yeah. it's quite the rose gallery isn't it
0: well there were a lot of bad people <clears throat> a lot of bad stuff and a lot of these people did lousy things and uh but that makes news you know good news isn't always big news bad news is usually big news uh and I felt like I had to punctuate uh certain uh parts of the song to keep it uh, moving along to, to but, hey, wait a minute this is about stuff remember stuff and there's got to be a bad guy in there
2: mm. Katie, we've learnt so much, I'm going to get a towel, I'm going to fan you. You can fan me while we have some adverts.
3: Hello, it's me again. I'm just going to interrupt the history scene to tell you about this other podcast you could check out cuz I'm on it. I'm cheating on fire. It's called .com and it's the documentary series about the people of the internet. And it starts with Wikipedia. Yeah, sure, it's just a little website, but it's not. Who are these people? the faces behind the screen, the brains behind the words. A place where people can come together and talk about the things that are important to them. We've just found a way in the Wiki universe to do that. This is a hidden world and it is fascinating. So if you're digging the fire, you will love this.
1: I mean, how could Wikipedia not be corrupt at this point?
3: Search for .com and subscribe now. How? so billy it is now time for the we didn't start the fire pop quiz we're gonna ask you a question and see if you know the answer about a person place or thing in your song and before we start can you please play us a pop quiz flourish on your piano
0: okay there's a flourish
3: all right question one Who is the only person named in the billboard number one hit, We Didn't Start the Fire, currently doing the same thing they were doing at the chronological point they appear in the song?
0: Who was the only person doing the same thing?
3: They're doing the same thing now that they were doing in the song.
0: England's got a new queen. You got it. (laughs)
3: Yes. All right.
0: (laughs) Well, that was simple.
3: (laughs) Duh.
2: (laughs) Question number two, Billy. Which possibly reprehensible person, named in the Grammy-nominated song We Didn't Start the Fire, had a whimsical collection of toy frogs in his bedroom.
0: All who's got a collection of toy frogs in their... If you want a clue, Billy... Yeah, give me a clue, will you? We've mentioned
2: him already as a right-wing fixer, opportunist...
0: Was it Roy Cohn? It was Roy Cohn.
3: Yep. This is how much we're learning through your song. Okay, question three. Which athlete, named in the engagingly relentless pop smash We Didn't Start the Fire, had a second career as a tap dancer?
2: Someone who danced between the ropes, shall we say. Someone famous for their incredible footwork.
0: Not Sugar Ray. Sugar yes.
3: Ray. Yep, he, you can see on YouTube is a clip of him dancing with uh, Gene Kelly.
0: Sugar Ray Robinson? Yes. Yeah.
3: Have a look. I, had
0: no, I, didn't, I didn't know that. Uh, He was a great boxer. He was one of my heroes when I was a kid.
3: And the final question in the pop quiz, which person named in the beloved listicle ditty We Didn't Start the Fire wrote the following to their lover? When, oh, when will we be able to possess each other completely, clinging together deep inside each other, our mouths gasping, united while awaiting the supreme voluptuousness at the same moment?
2: Shady Salinger? It should have been Salinger. If, if you imagined the it in Italian, that might help you.
3: In Italian, very good with his stick.
0: Tuscanini. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
3: He was a ladies' man. Billy, he was raw like sushi. That guy was <laughs> in there like swimwear.
0: Okay.
3: He loved the ladies. Oh, uh, that's good. Yeah, we these are all things that we've learned through your song. You've let us down this crazy garden of knowledge and um, factoids
0: sorry but it gives you something to do on the radio
3: no (laughs) definitely
0: so
2: we'll do a cheeky little quick fire round here Billy so Katie and I will take it in turns reading a lyric from We Didn't Start the Fire you just give us the first thing that comes into your head
0: when you hear your lyric okay Doris Day uh que
3: Studebaker
0: one of my favourite cars oh we wondered about that
3: one yeah I wondered about that
0: they used to have a car that looked, that looked like, a, like a rocket ship in the front yeah totally it was a really w- weird looking car in the early 50s did Studebaker.
3: you ha- Did your family have one of those cars
0: no but people right around the block from where I lived had a green Studebaker they used to drive and I used to love to see that car it just reminded me of a rocket ship
2: this is answering Katie a lot of our questions yeah
3: yeah we were wondering
2: okay I'm gonna give you
0: Bardo Brigitte Bardo oh Brigitte mm. Bardo <laughs> la la. She was so hot
3: <laughs> poster on the wall hot did you have a poster
0: I, n- no my mom wouldn't let me have a poster <laughs> uh, and I, I wouldn't even know where to get one <laughs> <laughs> once in a while there was a movie called Pigalle uh, Mad- Mademoiselle Pigalle Mm-hmm. Uh, which was a French foreign film, and it would come up from time to time on TV, and everybody used to watch it because there was supposed to be a nude scene of her, <laughs> like jumping into a pool or something, and everybody would say, it's going to happen now, and we'd call each other up. Did it happen yet? Did you see it? Did you see Brigitte Bardot? <laughs> Nobody ever saw it. I think it was a myth, but we all tried to tune in and see it. Here's one for you, Billy. Moonshot. Oh, that was 1969. That was That was big news all over the world. I mean... The headlines were everywhere about the moonshot. Uh, it was hard to believe, looking at the moon, that there were human beings up there. Uh, it was a very cathartic moment. Where were you when you, when you watched it? You watched it on TV? Um, in, it was in July of 1969. I was living in my first apartment um, in Oyster Bay. And um, I ran out and looked at the moon that night. Uh, and I couldn't see the moon because the, the lights were too bright in the, in the village. But I, I did see it on a TV. I had a TV at that time.
3: I'm wondering what went into you, including punk rock. Where were you in your career? What, you, what were you doing when punk rock started to become a thing?
0: Punk rock hit in the States uh, right around the same time that my first successful album uh, happened, which was 1977. I think the Sex Pistols hit big. I was on the road. I was working. I was in a band playing, traveling all over the place when punk rock hit, which I thought was great. I loved punk rock. It was very healthy for the music business. It was like giving the music business an enema, <laughs> which it needed. Coffee enema, perhaps, yeah.
3: But did were you concerned, though, that once you had your first hit and you were already set in your very um, lyrical, pop tastic? genre, did you have this fear that some of your cohort had, which was, uh-oh, are we going to be wiped out in this enema?
0: Nah. No, I, n- I never really felt competitive with other artists. Like they, they had the Grammys and the Whammies and the, the VHF awards. I, I never really got the competition aspect of it. I don't feel like I'm competing with other people. I'm just doing what I do. They're doing what they do. Somebody may like what I do. Somebody may hate what I do. Somebody will probably like what they do. Somebody may hate what they do. It's, you know, it live and let live. It's that kind of world.
2: So, Billy, at the start of every episode of the podcast that Katie and I record, we sing your magnum opus, and we find that it's the best possible way to prepare for recording because it gets us in the groove. It gets
0: us up. What's it like to actually perform? It's scary <laughs> <laughs> because... <laughs> If you mess up one lyric, it's a train wreck. <laughs> it actually happened to me. I was in Toronto. We were playing, and I got to a verse. That was like, um, Joseph Dallin, Malenkov, Nasser and Picafia," And then I forgot. I went blank. And then, Nasser M. Prokofiev. And the audience, you can see the audience, like, Huh? Roy Cohn, Feshka Khan, You can't fake it. You can't pick it up. Once you drop the word, it, you, you're dead. It's gone. It's over. So, and the audience made this noise like, oh. <laughs> and, and and you just see people shaking. Oh no 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 no! He must be stoned or something. And I, I said, stop the music, like Jimmy Durante. Stop the music. Stop the music. And I said, I'm sorry. I screwed that up. But at least you got to hear an authentic rock and roll screw-up. Yeah. Because we're not on tape, folks. This is live. This can only happen live. And I'm trying to fump my way through explaining, (laughs) uh, you know, okay, that we made a mistake. I'm going to start. And I started all over again. One, two, three, four. Harry Truman, we went right back into it. (laughs) And then I got through it. But it was a train wreck.
2: What is the hardest single lyric to get right so i have found myself stumbling repeatedly over DnBN
3: phu." oh yeah
0: that, that is, is the, the hardest shocker. lyric Dien bien foo
3: it's a tongue twister for some reason
0: yes it is i think even in uh, vietnam they go you know that place <laughs> you know, yeah. with the d the d place
2: imagine billy when you write a song you launch it off into the universe and you never really know what's going to happen with it you don't know who it's going to impact and I guess, too, you get tales from people who come up to you in the street and go, they might mention a particular song and say how much it meant them. They might say that they, they got engaged or they met the love of their life dancing to that song. But I bet you've never had a couple of people come up to you and go, Billy, you know that song you wrote? It set us off on a two-year podcast odyssey where we're going to s- speak to experts on every single topic from the Cold <laughs> War to rock and
0: roll. <laughs> <laughs> no, no one has ever said that to me. The only thing I've heard from, about that song from people is, I hate that song. Some people hate that song. It's one of the most hated things I ever wrote. And I don't, I don't get the hate. I mean, I, I hate the music because it's not good. <laughs> but I, I think the lyrics are fairly clever. I think I did a pretty good job with the words. But, um, but some people just hate that thing.
3: Well, you know what? I think it's a sign of how popular and successful it is because it is an earworm. It is so gosh darn catchy. And, you know, you call your music uh, mosquito buzzing in your ear, but one man's mosquito is another man's jaunty little ditty. So it's just once heard, never forgotten.
0: I suppose you're right. I actually never sat down and tried to write a hit record. I never sat down and said, I'm going to write a song that's going to be a big hit on the radio and it's going to make me a lot of money. I never thought like that. I only wrote something that was interesting to me. Uh, maybe that sounds selfish or self-centered, but I only wrote stuff that I wanted to hear. If it turned out to be a hit, it was pure dumb luck. I didn't even pick the singles. I don't pick the singles. The record company picks what's going to be a single. I hand them an album of a bunch of songs that's to hear. Now it's your turkey. You figure it out. (laughs) They're the ones who picked the singles. So they were pretty good at picking hit singles, you got to admit.
3: Now that we've engaged you, Billy, as our teacher, our guru, our coach, we're wondering, will you come back on the podcast another time and check our work sometime in the future?
0: Sure. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Well, Billy, I don't know about anyone else, but Katie, you and I love this song. This song has become something we think about every week. It's taught both of us, Loads of stuff we didn't know. So, Billy, from both Katie and I, thank you for the song. And thanks for telling us all about it.
0: Well, thank you for doing this whole podcast about it. Good luck with it.
3: Tom, I don't know how I'm ever going to come down off of that cloud. That was too exciting. Okay. Can I just say, though, that I think that I slightly scared him with my intro. (laughs) He seemed seemed slightly bemused. He He seemed like maybe he was going to end the interview right then and there. But I was just excited.
2: And so many reasons, Katie, to be excited. Because he has been our leader. He's been our guide. (laughs) To actually see him, I was going to say in the flesh... All right, electronically in the flesh. He looked good. He looked very good. What a massive cigar that was.
3: Oh, yes. a Nice big cigar. Um, But no, he looked lean. He looked like fighting fit, match fit, ready to go. Now, here's the thing, though, Tom. He was behind his piano, and I'm now kicking myself because I could have... Oh, human jukebox. I could have just thrown out there, like, "Give give us some Prokofiev, man. Give us some Dylan. Give us some Beatles. Like, you know, some hits from the, the the name checks in the song. What's the matter with me? What's the matter with you? Why I did you ask him?
2: okay so Our biggest failing of all was, yeah, it would have been nice to hear the Billy Joel jukebox. What about the song that uh, we have been singing every uh, <laughs> single week?
3: <laughs> with a kazoo?
2: With a kazoo? We had actually Billy Joel. Forget the kazoos.
3: Why are we so remedial? I don't know. We're not very good at I'm our gonna jobs. I'm going to take this to
2: my grave.
3: I, oh, we are a little bit. Limited in our enchantments, aren't we? But also, um, here's what's good: we established that Studebaker is not simply a filler lyric. The it's, love
2: for Studebaker,
3: he, he, he loves that Studebaker. He chased it, he chased it around the block when he was a child. Quite alarmingly,
2: he chased it around the block um, almost as fast as he would have chased Brigitte Bardot had she appeared slightly strangely (laughs) on Long Island. Yeah,
3: yeah, slightly odd. I did like that idea that that pre-social media of all the little horny neighborhood kids getting on the blower to each other (laughs) to like you know have we seen her nipples yet? No, we have not. Nipple watch. Okay, slightly mortifying that we had completed and published. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, an entire episode about the wrong Rockefeller.
2: Well, yes, the silver lining for me here, Katie, is that we've shone a light on a Rockefeller who no one else gives the <laughs> slightest <slices laughs> about...
3: Certainly not Billy. <laughs>
2: Certainly not Billy. Winthrop Rockefeller might otherwise have slid even further into deepest obscurity <laughs> Have we not dedicated 40 minutes of our lives to discussing <laughs> what he did with his.
3: I have to, I did like how um, borderline outraged Billy was, though, <laughs> at, at our blunder. Like, I'm from New York. I'm talking about Nelson Rockefeller, the governor of New York. Why would I be talking about any other Rockefeller for crying out loud?
2: Do you think we need to future proof ourselves a little bit here, Katie? Because <laughs> yes. let's face it, to do it once is a little bit embarrassing. To do it twice would be humiliating and lead people to question whether we should actually be doing this podcast. So yes. maybe in future, if we have a question of what the hell Billy Joel meant on a particular lyric, we'll just ask. I Benny know Joe.
3: we've got him on speed dial so it's it's not really a problem At all. And really, I did. I mean, I don't know if he's going to remember, but I did slip that in at the end saying asking him to come back and sort of check our work. So maybe that's when he can we can remember to do all the things that we very clumsily forgot to do this time, like uh, play your piano, piano man. (laughs) And
2: without wanting to scratch the needle across the record, Katie, (laughs) happy as I am today, there is a slight little bit of sadness within me because whenever you achieve a quest... Yes, there is the pleasure in achieving your goal, but also sadness that quest is over.
3: Well, it's over, but, you know, there's another mountain to climb, which is uh, we only have, what, like a hundred more topics (laughs) or something. So maybe it'll be long enough that Billy forgot that we ever pestered him the first time and we, we will lure him back.
2: Absolutely. Well, Katie, you and I should go to a piano bar and drink in the successes of the day. In the meantime, if people would like another podcast to listen to, I think it's fitting that we recommend Death of a Rockstar. Now, these are immersive tales of the great musicians of the last 50 years. The stories of Elvis, of John Lennon, Whitney Houston, Keith Flint and many, many more. Simply search for Death of a Rockstar in all usual podcast places.
3: And if you guys feel so inclined to get in touch, please do on the socials at spread that fire and that's on Instagram and Twitter. And also you might feel inclined to put fingers to your keyboard and send us an email. You can do that at fire at crowdnetwork dot uk. And Tom, we're continuing in a musical vein next week. What's our topic?
2: Katie, it is the possibly the only hits for the aging and slightly portly kiss curl wearing Bill Haley, it's rock around the clock
3: One, two, three o'clock, four o'clock Fade this out now
2: (laughs) (laughs) Crowd Network A place where you belong